0: Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God that engages us is from the lesson just read. Upside down. That was my position as I went over a cliff on a mountain bike last summer in Devil's Den State Park in northwest Arkansas. My response? (laughs) Whoa! It reminded me of the time I was upside down on a zip line at Camp Luther Homa in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. And these experiences remind me of the time when I was morphologically, philologically, and grammatically upside down when I first heard the phrase "nifal participle" <laughs> upside down. <laughs> It's very uncomfortable, isn't it? You probably know the feeling. You've been on a roller coaster. Some of you have been on the end of bungee cords, I bet. And we all know the feeling while preaching a sermon. This describes Jeremiah's ministry. Jeremiah knew the feeling of being upside down. Because Yahweh's program throughout his book is to capsize, invert, overthrow, and overturn everything. Jeremiah ministered and lived in such a way that the temple, the land, the monarchy, the covenants, the kingdom, the promises, they were all turned inside out and upside down. At the heart of this subversive and radical ministry is Jeremiah's vision in chapter 24. Set in the years immediately following the second Neo-Babylonian exile in 597 BC, Jeremiah goes to the temple in Jerusalem, and there Yahweh shows him a vision, a vision of two baskets of figs, and in the first basket are the good figs plump and juicy ripe to perfection the best of the best in basket number 2 are the bad figs rotten stinky and smelly these are the worst of the worst and you say slam dunk blessing <laughs> i can interpret this vision as you dust off veltz's what does this mean the good figs are those who manage to avoid the exile, right? Good things happen to good people. These are the people who manage to avoid the deportation. They're still in the land. They're moving from party to party, from portfolio to portfolio. These are Zedekiah and all his high roller officials. These are Judah's best of the best. And while I am at it, you continue, the bad figs, ha. <laughs> Bad things happen to bad people, right? These are the stinky and smelly, hopeless, landless, futureless exiles in Babylon. They should expect no mercy from Yahweh. They are the worst of the worst. How do you arrive at that interpretation of the vision? piece of cake, you say. Go back to the book of Genesis. The land promise is given to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's their lesson in spades. Look it up. If I've heard it once in Concordia Seminary, I've heard it a thousand times. If you are in the land, you're blessed. If you're outside the land, you're cursed. It's that whole Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28 thing, right? Right? The good figs, they're in the land. The bad figs, they're in exile. Case closed, sermon over. Well, (laughs) not so fast. I suggest that we buckle our seatbelts, tighten our carabiners, and put on our helmets. Because Yahweh is about to turn all of us upside down. Jeremiah 24, verse 5. See, I will regard the good figs as those exiles from Judah whom I have sent to the land of the Babylonians. But what about the people in the land? Jeremiah 24, 9. I will make them a whore before all the kingdoms of the earth, and a reproach, and a byword, and a taunting, and a curse. And you say, Who came up with that theology? That sounds something like the last have become first, and the first have become last. That's ludicrous. Yahweh wouldn't treat Zedekiah, the king, the head honcho, and all his big-wig officials like that, why they're still in the land. They avoided exile. They have overflowing shalom, right? Jeremiah 24, 10. I will pursue them, says Yahweh, with a sword and famine and pestilence until they are utterly destroyed. Whoa! <laughs> what does this mean? It means you and I will forfeit the kingdom. We will sell our souls to the enemy. We will rot in the pit of hell. We will become captives to the enemy, if we insist on being in the basket where there is no exile, no brokenness, no repentance, no contrition, no cross, no exile, and you say, how did this state of affairs come to pass? When in doubt, we'll say next Wednesday, <laughs> check the call document. Jeremiah 1.10, the call document. Yahweh says, I am appointing you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. Yahweh needs to uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow all of my ministry expectations, all of my well thought plans. He needs to turn me inside out and upside down. Yahweh wants to send a new David a king who will do what is just and right in the land, but that doesn't happen until we're repentant. Yahweh says in Jeremiah 31, I'm going to cut a renewed covenant and I'm going to put Torah in your gut and I'm going to write it on your heart, but that doesn't happen unless we're broke. Yahweh says, I'm going to plant you in the new Jerusalem forever, but that's only for humble and repentant people. Hannah (laughs) sings about this inversion. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble, get it, those who stumble, they're armed with strength. Those who are full Now beg for bread, but those who are hungry, hunger no more. Mary picks up the cadence. He has cast down the rulers from their thrones, but he has filled the hungry with good things. He has cast away the rich, but he has filled those who are humble. This world's assignments Of worth and value and position and power come from the Father of lies. This settled, closed, gelled world is not our future. (laughs) There is infinitely more for exiles, the marginalized the broken, the humble. Jeremiah 24, 6 and 7. Yahweh says to the exiles, I will place my eyes upon them for good and I'll bring them back to the land. I will build them and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. And I will give them a heart to know that I am Yahweh and they will be my people and I will be their God. And why does this shock us? Why the matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel were at all time marginalized, barren. Then there were some state slaves in Egypt who watched Pharaoh do the dead man's float. Still unconvinced, aren't you? Then listen to Paul. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And so Mr. Inversion himself comes along and calls fishermen not Pharisees. Sinners, not Sadducees. Whores, not Herodians. Climactically, Jesus chooses thorns, not gold and silver for the crown, spit and sweat and blood instead of sweetness and light. And these choices led to torment and torture and darkness and death, but they led to the most radical inversion of them all. Why do you seek the living from among the dead? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Jesus blew the rock open from the inside. He rolled away the stone. He surged to Jerusalem, to Galilee, and he's still surging today. Just here, just now, to speak words to broken, marginalized, exiled people. Straight from his heart to yours, Jesus says, no matter what, I love you. Jesus, crucified yet risen, is life overriding death and making all things new. You see, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And Yahweh did it, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Baptized into that subversive kingdom. (laughs) I was once blind. But now I can see. I was once lost, but now I'm fine. You see, we were all once dead, but we are alive. (laughs) Whoa. And because we are Pentecosted people... We will take Jeremiah's radical and subversive vision of figs and baskets to the homeless and the divorced and the broken and the repentant and the orphan and the widow, and we will shout it out to the exiles. And then what the Thessalonians said of Paul and Silas will be said of us. These men, these men who turned the world upside down have also come here. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.